Again and welcome to Between the Horns, presented by your Southern California Toyota dealers, proud partner of the LA Rams. I'm JB Long, joined by my friends and broadcast partners, Maurice Jones-Drew and DeMarco Farr. We just could not let this season go away. We don't want it to end. We had to run it back one more time on this season finale edition of Between the Horns podcast. Uh, MJD, you still haven't even cut your hair. Uh, <laughs> now you won't jinx anything, but uh, otherwise. <laughs> JB, it seems like everybody's against us right now, right? <laughs> I, I I missed the parade. I was I for, totally forgot about the nine a.m. this morning. You come home and it's just dad time. You're just dad. I, but you know what? I told him call me a Super Bowl champion broadcaster dad <laughs> from now on because that's what we are. And uh, congratulations! I, I watched the parade oh, uh, on the internet. It was awesome. Uh, just being there to see all that, to see the excitement after the game. Uh, Van Jefferson having a baby two hours after the game. Like it was just so much was going on. It was so awesome. Uh, happy for everyone there. And in the wise words of Les Snead, F them picks. <laughs> Who needs it? DeMarco, how you doing? Have you decompressed yet? No. Cloud nine, brother. I'm staying up here as long as possible. Absolutely. I'm, I'm actually disappointed in our little trio here. We all have shirts on. We should go shirtless like AD, like everybody else. JB, how come you didn't take off your shirt on the podium, man? Everybody else was hammered and shirtless. Come on now. <laughs> Speaking of things that are behind schedule, uh, New Year's resolutions and physical fitness, I think if the Rams are going to run it back, by the time they repeat, we would all like to be in a place where we might feel more comfortable joining them on stage, right? In that no regard. doubt. Yeah, if, if AD takes off his shirt, put yours back on. No doubt. <laughs> Uh, well, this episode is very much about um, sharing some laughs, some memories, reminiscing, and just basking in what was a memorable 2021 season that culminated in a Super Bowl 56 championship. DeMarco, you can start wherever you want, but in terms of what you'll remember, what you'll love about that win over the Bengals, where does your mind go? Wow. Uh, so much, man. Um, you know, it's hard not to say Aaron Donald. Um just taking the game over. Remember the pick. So Jalen Ramsey gets thrown on his face by Jamar Chase. That should have been a penalty. Then Matthew Stafford throws the pick. It bounces off Benny Sko's hand right into a Bengals uh, weight and arms. And you're set up on the 31. Joe Burrow is. And they're up four at this point. And we know how big two-score leads are in, 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 in professional football. If the defense doesn't rise to the occasion, if Aaron Donald doesn't get two sacks inside of eight plays – I don't know if we're here smiling right now, but uh, just watching that guy go about his business all season long, dragging guys with him, uh, not to just harp on one guy. There was it, it took everybody on the roster to get that done, but w- when you talk about winning it for Aaron and then Aaron goes out and win it, wins it for you, two games in a row, the two biggest games that matter, and this was crazy. Why in the world would you start a dust-up with him? Uh, and you made him mad, and he went out and absolutely just bull-rushed that guard, so – that to me stood out. I mean, that was that was inspirational. That was almost emotional, and I think that encapsulated the entire season right there. Hmm. Maurice, you've been hanging around with the uh, the league wide folks, the NFL Network crew. What's been the uh, national perception of what the Rams just did? Um, I, I think from the offensive side, it was Matthew Stafford and the fourth quarter comeback. Right, all those times. I think he has over fifty in his career, and, and the one that mattered most, uh, the one that kind of uh, I would say made it real was his last one, right? Being down, having that last drive, 
um, find a way when they've been shutting down your 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 top receiver the whole time. This is what it's been all about. Uh, to hear Aaron Donald say uh, to Matthew Stafford, "You're my quarterback for life." I mean, he showed it on that last drive. And to me, I, you know, we could look at all these different things when the Rams needed it most. Everyone showed up and made plays, and it comes back to the one throw that I didn't even know was a no looker. I thought he was looking at Aaron or at Cooper Cup the whole time, but to be looking one way and fired back across, amazing. And then this play here, I mean, everyone should practice this play. If you're a receiver, quarterback duo, that is unstoppable on the goal line if you know how to run it. And again, I, I, to me, it, it um, everything became real for me for Matthew Stafford. Uh, I think Cooper Cup was already kind of, we already knew what he was able to do with the triple crown and all those things. But with Stafford, it was, can he win in the playoffs? Can he beat the GOAT? Mm. Can he beat the Niners? Mm. And then to go in the, the Super Bowl and come on the, uh, have a game winning drive uh, to seal the game, that was big time. Yes, yes, yes. Didn't, our, didn't training camp start? Like, there was hoopla around Matthew Stafford when the Rams acquired him. But I remember hoopla in training camp started when he did a no look pass in front of everyone else. And the yeah. season ends on a no look pass. Wow. I mean, yeah, uh, great return on investment. Great job, Les Snead. I want one of those Snead t-shirts, too. I'll say this. This is the other thing. They never practiced. I've never seen Cooper Cup run a fade route like that in practice at all. I've, we've never seen that since we've been there. So I don't know if they practiced it or not. That was an Odell thing. That was Odell. Um, they would try to get it to the the kid out of UCF. I forget his name that tore his knee up. They were practicing those with them, right? So to be able to just to call that in the game and execute that in the most crucial time there is, like, that's insane to me. There was no practice time put in with throwing a fade ball and Cooper Cup going to go catch it. Yeah, they spent a lot of the uh, preseason running that to Jacob Harris, didn't they, in games yeah. against the, the yeah. Cowboys and whatnot. Um, I think it's a tale of two fourth and ones, DeMarco. Am I wrong? Holding the jet sweep in your back pocket until you absolutely had to get it in the hands of number 10 in Royal and Soul, and then the game-clinching play for Aaron Donald, which was – almost like a mirror reflection of the spin cycle that he put Jimmy Garoppolo in two weeks prior. Uh, just unbelievable. I, you know, just Sean McVay, the guts, the, the, the intestinal fortitude to get those things done. Um, you know, I was expecting a straight handoff, and he caught me off guard, caught the Bengals off guard with that, you know, that quick end around or that jet sweep to, to Cooper Cup to pick it up. Um, but this has been like this all season long. Remember the, the stand they had, I think it was against Baltimore, uh, just the key play is when it matters most. And I, I know it becomes cliche, and we hear it a lot about Sean McVay talking about how competitive this team is. And every time they go out and play, the first thing you want to talk about on Monday with him is how competitive these guys are, how much they want to fight, how much they want to get this thing done. And you know, I guess you can say it's you know because of him or because of Aaron, but – you know, it's hard to instill that sort of culture in a professional football team. There are some franchises that are still searching for it, and this has happened twice, or it's happened in a six-year span, and it's not done yet. I got such a charge out of you guys on that stage when Sean McVay was leading the run-it-back charge. I, I did. I just got I got just electrified by that. I mean, it's not over. You, you got one. You got this one. Let's bask in it, but – there's still a, cons a competitive spirit left in this football team. So, yeah, those fourth and ones, like you said, it epitomizes everything that went on this year. Sometimes championship and culture can kind of be conflated in hindsight, Maurice. Like you get the wins and your culture is pretty good. But this seems like a really true example of culture came first. 
there are so many examples. And if you go watch some of the NFL films and the mic'd up stuff uh, to see Andrew Whitworth, like write Tyler Higby and Robert Woods, name and Sharpie on his undershirt, like right below wow. his heart for that game. And so many other examples. Oh, Do you man. think in the moments of adversity, like those friendships, um, that wow. bond carried them through? Like, is that a real deal? Oh, no question. Um, you know, I think after the NFC Championship game to see Cooper Cup go to Robert Woods and hug him and tell him he loves him because he was in that situation the last time they went to the Super Bowl. Uh, DeMarco, you talk about running back. You run it back because you weren't a full team, mm-hmm. right? Robert Woods wasn't out there. Uh, a lot of guys that you count on weren't out there. So you want to run that back. And, and I think the culture, and, and it's funny because I got a chance after our game to go down and, and do the national uh the NFL Network uh, post-game show, and I got a chance to interview some of these guys. I just talked to them, and Whitworth talked about the culture. They don't yell at their players. They coach them and how they were able to do the we, not me, right? There there were some, some egos in there. You brought Odell in to come in, and Cooper Cup is having a huge season, and Odell's been one of the top players in the National Football League, but how they were able to handle that, or Von Miller coming in defensively mm-hmm. and understanding that, hey, Aaron Donald is still the guy. Right. To hear people say, like, we're trying to win this for Odell because he never won one or Matthew Stafford or Big Wit. There were so many guys on this team that never won one. And they talked to Vaughn and Vaughn to say, I explained to everyone what football heaven was like. Right. That is the culture that you created. You're bringing guys in that, yeah, you know what? Maybe their team told them that they didn't want them or maybe they were traded away or maybe whatever the little added motivation was. But at the end of the day, when you saw Odell crying after after he tore his ACL and guys were hugging him, right? You that's the culture you want. That's a brotherhood. That's the things that last for life, right? That's why DeMarco smiles every time we bring up Isaac Bruce or Tori Hunt, right? That, <laughs> like that's something you have. And 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 that culture is different. It's different than most because they injected players in with egos late in the season. Mm-hmm. Right? That didn't go through training camp with them and OTAs and all those things. And so Kudos to Sean McVay for having that that culture there that he brought in six years ago that he believed in, that he created. And kudos for the players to keep going. I, I talked to Whitworth about it. I said, I remember your first OTA practice, you jumped off sides. And then he got all mad. He's like, you're not supposed to bring that up. I go, but it's, you jumped off sides, and Sean didn't have to tell you to get out for the play, right? Because that was part of the culture. You were setting an example for the culture. And that from that point forward, we saw that grow into what it is now. I mean, Andrew Whitworth was one of the foundational pieces in this five-year run of success, his signing back in 2017. And then to see Odell Beckham Jr. ask him to borrow some saliva before he goes and catches that big fade touchdown in the Super Bowl, just a little LSU connection. It was uh, something else. I like it. Together. Do you guys uh, remember when Witt chased that guy down way back yes. when? Do you remember that? When Witt, uh, uh, what game was Was that Dallas? Where he chased the guy halfway down the field and almost caught him. Oh, way back. Yeah, he scored, though. I'll see him. Got you. That was the embryo stage of this championship run. Mm -hmm. That's the the oldest guy in the field going to get it. What excuse do you have as a youngster when you see a guy that old, that big, that size running down the field? And you're not going to catch the guy, but it's all about Alfred. That, to me, was the start of everything, and it culminated, you know, in SoFi. Guys, tell me if I'm trying to force this a bit too much, but in the Super Bowl 56 win, I kind of see the story arc of the Rams' entire season. Good start, right? Early wins, early lead. Derailed by some injuries, manifested by Odell Beckham Jr. in this one. 
bogged down in some adversity, right, in the middle to late portion of the game. And then you have to have unexpected contributors. Maybe in the regular season, that's a Brandon Powell. In this game, it's Bryson Hopkins, like outperforming his career numbers in the biggest game he's ever played. But then in the end, it's the stars that you brought in to carry you to the finish line, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, and, of course, Aaron Donald, the greatest defensive player on the planet, who get it done. Like that was the story to me of the 2021 Los Angeles Rams. And it will be a Super Bowl 56 too. You know, I, I was so uh, just impressed with what Daryl Henderson was bringing to that football game on rush attempts. Now it was tough. Give Cincinnati credit. They played a great game on defense, but he was bringing quickness to the hole and he was the very definition of play action. I mean, he was really getting them the bite and then he was great out of the backfield. So that was something to uh, behold there. Uh, Bryson Hopkins, man, his dad came up and gave me a bear hug after the game, and I had absolutely no idea it was him because he was so damn skinny, really. But, but I mean, it was great to see him perform on the big stage. Sometimes all it takes is a guy just getting reps to show you what he can do because we were all on the fence, right? But it was good to see him come up and contribute in the biggest game of his life. Let's keep yeah. going then with, with unsung heroes. Maurice, go ahead and, and finish that thought if you want. But DeMarco mentioned a couple there I had on my list, Daryl Henderson, Bryson Hopkins. Anyone else come to mind in terms of you know, the less heralded players who contributed to a championship moment for the Rams? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll say this, uh, and then I'll answer the question. We have to remember opportunities are given, not earned in the National Football League. And what I mean by that is it took multiple guys to get hurt for Bryson Hopkins to get out there and show what he could do. Right. It took Tyler Higby. I think Blanton was dealing with something. That's why he wasn't out there. Right. And then Hopkins goes and all of a sudden he, he shows up and he makes plays. Now I trust you. Right. You, you made a couple of catches. I trust you. Your quarterback trusts you. You go out and do it. Um, for me, I, I think you have to go, um, to Ashawn Robinson and Greg Ooh. Gaines. I thought those two did a tremendous job. Now, yes, Leonard Floyd got sacks and Von Miller. They did their job. But if it wasn't for those guys, when they started rushing four and five, when they started rushing five right here, this is the big time sack. That that to me was huge. That started the onslaught of, you know, I think Vaughn got another sack right after that. Like it became like that started the six sack deal. And so to me, these guys did an amazing job of doing their job, right? Your job is to clog the middle, stop the run, push the pocket back. If you don't do that, Ernest Jones, again, as we're seeing here, those they stepped up and made big time plays when you needed it to, and it's so hard to do that, Demarco. As you know, it yeah. is hard to make a play in a big game. It is hard, but if you stick to what your job and your technique, you can make it. And every time that opportunity came for them to make a play, they made it, and that's all you ask. Hmm. Demarco, I'm going to toss another one to you, and that would be Eric Weddle. We'll never see anything like it. Two years into retirement, he steps into a playoff run. Helps to win a Lombardi trophy and then goes right back into retirement. And I just want to pause here for a second to brag on my teammates here, DeMarco and Maurice Jones-Drew. MJD, you see the game unlike anyone I've ever sat next to. And there are moments that I can reflect on throughout this season where you will either predict something, uh, looking ahead to the next play, or while I'm caught up in calling the action, you'll observe something that was going on downfield that I had no idea. Um, So you've got a real gift for that. And, And DeMarco... To know what was going on with Eric Weddle throughout that Super Bowl just gave us a context and a perspective that I find really unique. And it's a credit to you and your eyes and your connections with this Rams organization going way back uh, to your playing days. So kudos to you, because what Weddle did um, 
in that game, knowing that he was dealing with his pectoral injury, just made it all the more rich for me. You know, I saw it when it happened. It was coming right at me. And, you know, he I think it might have been Mixon or somebody he went low on and he got up and grabbed the shoulder. And you know what that means, Maurice, when you grab the shoulder and the arm goes limp, there's something wrong there. Uh, so I'm thinking maybe and I heard you say during the break, it may be AC joint. So I'm like, he may be right. Let me go check on it. And Eric Weddle always kind of stands. He's with the team, but he's kind of away from the team while he's watching the offense. So I'm having a conversation with him, and he's telling me, he's encouraging me. All we need is a few plays. We're going to get back in this. We're going to score, and we're going to win this. So he's encouraging me, which it should have been the opposite. And I said, man, how's your shoulder? He goes, man, it hurts like hell. I think I tore my pec. And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, maybe you should, you know, go see the trainer or something because Joe Noteboom was out for the very same thing. Can't play. And he says, man, there's no way I'm coming out of this game. I got 30 or 40 years to recover from this. And within a minute of that, he's back on the field tackling Joe Mixon one-on-one in the hole. So I know this guy's banged up. I know how bad it is. And he's still throwing his body around. So, you know, ever since he came back, uh, remember week 18, how confused that secondary was. There were some issues there. But ever since he came back, there's been a calming influence or there was a calming influence on that secondary, which helps your pass rush. Everybody's on the same page. We get guys covered up. We're dropping to the right areas. We all are playing the same call. That's how you get people to the quarterback. There's no outlet for Burrow. So, yeah, um, if there's a Kurt Warner movie, the underdog story, I can't wait for the Eric Weddle story at some point when he tells you about this and how he finished his career. You guys have done a pretty good job covering my list of unsung heroes. You've already touched on a lot of the names. I'll just finish it up by saying Matt Gay had one of the great kicking seasons in Rams franchise history. And when you think back to where the Rams were in that department a little more than a year ago, I don't think you can overstate the significance of what Gay did for the place kicking role for the Los Angeles Rams. Second half of last year and especially this championship season. Another one that comes to mind, we talked about Whitworth, but how about the offensive line in total? DeMarco, I'm sure you remember speaking with me and speaking with some fans back in the spring around draft time. We're thinking, we're hearing, I should say, wait, the Rams didn't devote any free (laughs) capital to that position group. They didn't draft anybody when I think a lot of outsiders were expecting them to devote resources to that position. And they're bringing in Kevin Carberry, a new offensive line coach. And they're basically saying, hey, we're good doubling down on the group that we have. Not only was their first five good enough, but be it Coleman Shelton or Larry Jackson or Joe Noteboom, they had more than the five they ultimately needed to be the best offensive line in football. Great coaching uh, all around, Kevin Carberry coming in. Uh, great system in place by Sean McVay. I remember Jackie Slater told me this is a very offensive line friendly, uh, offensive line friendly offense, and he's exactly right. But being able to plug and play and move guys around, that's been around for a while. And for Kevin Carberry to keep that up and then to ultimately get it done uh, was special. I'll say this. Um, the most maligned player that I hear from either guys I played with or fans, it's either Brian Allen or Troy Reader. right? Now, I always say Brian Allen is an alternate on the Pro Bowl team, so you should shut up there. But this is what I like about Super Bowl championships and being a champion. You can't take that away. I can care less what you think about these guys. They are champions forever. You know what I mean? So, yeah, we, we you would have wished the Rams would have done X, Y, and Z on the offensive line. But, you know, it, it doesn't – you can't just draft greatness. You can't draft chemistry. That starts with guys working together, working hard together, and working towards the same goal. So I'm glad that group made it through and became champions. And let me say this, too. We I don't think we've talked enough about Joe Noboom. 
there was multiple times throughout the season that he's had to step up. If it was being an extra tight end, right? Uh, when Whitworth gets rolled up against Arizona to come in and then uh, obviously play against uh, the the Bucks, right? And then playing the Bucks, play the Bucks with a torn pec or whatever pec injury he had, whatever it is, to play that full game and stay out there and you're punching with whatever arm, the opposite arm. Like to well, me, he told me it happened on the second to last play, and I'm like, oh, that's that just breaks my heart even more. You, you're through right. Tampa. You, you're moving on to the next round and the second to last play. Wow. And so, but that's the thing. Like throughout this season, throughout this journey for the Rams, I feel like everything was tested. Does that make sense? Like guys got hurt from the receiving core. The running game was an issue at one point. Sony Michelle solves that. Then you get Cam Akers back. He gets going. Then in the Super Bowl, Daryl Henderson pops up. Like everyone had a a part in this. It wasn't just one or two guys. It wasn't Cooper Cup and his triple crown, even though that was the big story. Tyler Higby played huge in certain situations. Then he goes down. Blanton shows up. Then he gets banged up or nicked up or whatever happens. And then Hopkins comes in. Like you can go through each position on the offense and the defense and show how many guys have showed up and made plays. I mean, how many corners played? Dante, yeah. Dion, Rochelle, right? Then you end up with David Long, who started early in the year, then got benched, then came back and responded, right? Jalen, you had uh, Darius Williams, you had. Fuller, Nick Scott, that's a huge name that we got to talk about who, if it wasn't for him in some of these games, the Rams wouldn't even be here, right? So it was so many people. Burgess playing in spot situation, Taylor Rapp showing up, right? Then Weddle, we talked, like, there was easily 40 dudes that came in, and I haven't even mentioned special teams yet, with Skoranek being the hammer and Brandon Powell fixing the return situation. Like, there was easily 40 guys that played a pivotal role in this. And they all, like you said, they all deserve it, right? From Shelton stepping up when Allen got rolled up. Like, everyone was banged up, and they were finding a way to keep going. And to me, that's a championship team. Like, that that to me is a championship team. Like, guys were going down, and you still weren't missing a beat on either side of the ball, on all three phases. So, to me, that that's what it was all about. Let me add one more name that's on the coaching staff. Raheem Morris. Oh, yes, sir. You want to talk about a thankless task to come into a team that already has (laughs) proven stars and high expectations, was the best defense in football last year. That coach, Brandon Staley, goes and gets a head coaching job. And you have to uphold the standard. DeMarco, we don't need to go into details, but I'll never forget the coaches show we did in the depths of November where Sean McVay caught a peek at the comments section. It was gnarly. It was was inappropriate. I didn't love it. I'm yeah. sure you didn't either. <laughs> but who has the last laugh? I mean, Raheem Morris, you look at that postseason run, dominated Arizona and Kyler mm-hmm. Murray. Tampa Bay had a big comeback, but that's the GOAT. That's TB12. And without three lost fumbles, I think we're talking about a different final score. I know you believe that too. Yeah. San Francisco, you finally solved the puzzle. And that game against the Bengals, I mean, did they ever hold it down? in that second half until Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup could come alive. You know, fascinating. Uh, from day one, um, so fascinating to talk to him about football, his demeanor, his swag. How much How much did we talk about how much swag he has and, and what he was wearing in training camp and then to move on? And just to see him in the locker room give halftime adjustments. And Sean McVay is, is unique because it's not – you know, so much flip over the Gatorade table and, and fire and brimstone. It's very matter of fact. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. 
and this is how we're going to do it. Boom on, break, let's go. Raheem Morris is the same way. Comes in, okay, guys, we did this. We're not going to do this. We're going to do this more, and we're going to use this. How do you guys feel about that? You like it? Great, let's go. Fascinating how he just communicates with his guys. Um, the X's and O's and all that you know, rah-rah stuff doesn't factor in, and it doesn't really play a part in what they do. They are so prepared for every single situation that comes up. That, to me, is what gets me going. You know, when, when something breaks down, they know how, and they know how to fix it, and they go out and get it done. So I'm with you, man, and I loved it. Um, you were there. You saw it live. I love Raheem, Mo- uh, Raheem Morris at that podium yesterday. This is for everybody. This is for L.A., and he was having a blast doing it. You should. That is a leader of men. Uh, I'm, I'm sad that he's not moving on to get a head coaching job, but I'm so happy that he's still going to be here for next season, if that's the case. Yeah, I hope you heard that soundbite live because we'll never be able to run it back. <laughs> yes, we, can't, we can't drop that into this show. <laughs> Maurice, any final thoughts before we close it down on Between the Horns? Uh, I'll say this. I, I've been watching a lot of people talk about it, and not enough has talked about the way this coaching staff has been able to adjust year in and year out. Right. With the loss of OCs, DCs, quarterback coaches. I mean, it seems like this staff is continuing getting picked from college to pros and they continue to find a way to stay consistent. And to me, again, when that that, having 40 plus guys impact the season, that's coaching. Right. That comes down to coaching. And again, it all comes down to Sean McVay being the head coach of teaching, coaching his coaches on how he he wants them to coach and how he wants his culture to, to be. And for those guys to buy in and continue to do it, and you lose another coach, obviously well, two days ago, to the Vikings, right? And you have to replace him. And then guess what he's going to do? He's trying to poach coaches off your staff to take to the Vikings. Right. So to me, you know, this championship, we knew this was a championship roster. We knew this was a championship team. But to continue to see them win while losing coaches and players, it has been tremendous. I mean, they've drafted the players they needed to draft to to show up and play. The the guys that have played, the coaches have done a great job with it. And it looks like they'll be back trying to rebuild this coaching staff once again. And uh, like they said, run it back. All right, MJD and DeMarco, I love you guys. This has been a fun season of podcasting together, broadcasting together, and uh, it was so great to see just how much fun the Rams, their coaching staff, their front office had yesterday um, in downtown Los Angeles with the championship parade. Wow. Who's going shirtless first? Come on, Maurice. Come on, Maurice. Hey, listen, I'm, not, I'm not ready yet. Next, <laughs> the next time we do this, I'll go shirt, shirtless. But right now, we're not ready. We still got some work to do. <laughs> uh, thanks, MJD and DeMarco Farr, to our producer, Adam Bronstein, all season, to Jory Hirsch, Marissa Daly, so many other wonderful people at Ram Studios uh, who drive this content and really all the content on your social platforms that make being a part of the Ramley. So entertaining and so rewarding. Thanks to you for tuning in this week to Between the Horns, our season finale, presented as it was all season by your Southern California Toyota dealers, proud partner of the world champion, Los Angeles Rams.